0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Happy 80th birthday today to Martha Reeves of Martha and the Vandellas. The rock and roll icon joined us in 2015 for a walk down Motown memory lane.
1: Well, hello. Jason, we're about to go on WTOP.
0: <laughs> Man, i just do that the whole time.
1: <laughs>
0: Martha, thanks so much for coming on WTOP.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Jason. Is this your first time in Bethesda? No. No? Been, oh, way back when. I think Bethesda might have been on the first Motown Review um, itinerary. Uh, it'd be good to see it again after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> what year would that have been? Oh, I don't know. Maybe 62 or three. Have you been in the D.C. area, though, since then? I'm sure. Yes, we played uh, the Howard Theater when it opened again, thank God.
0: The reopening. And we've been
1: back there on several occasions. I love going there, and it's been every year since it opened. It's really different, and high tech. The sound is fantastic. The room is great. Uh, We filled it up pretty good. And uh, we get a chance to see my brother, Thomas, who lives in this area. Oh, really? Yes, Thomas Reeves. What part of the area? He lives in Virginia, somewhere. Does he come up and see you sing? Oh, yeah. He's always there. We always keep a table for him. Is he older oh, or younger, brother? He's older. Oh, he's, big bro. He's the one a year a year older, and he's one of the two brothers who I won candy at church at the age of three. We won, we won candy. Won candy? We won at church. How'd you win candy? By singing? We we won the contest. There was a contest at church, in my grandfather's church. Ah, where is this? Metropolitan AME me in Detroit, Detroit oh. Michigan. Yes. Wow. Well, it's it's obvious I'm from, from the South, right? So I was born in <laughs> New Fall, Alabama, okay. but my parents brought me to Detroit at the age of 11 months months and at, at, at three years old we won
0: candy so I've been singing since I can remember <laughs> that was you were three years old when it yes happened? we won candy take me to the scene here you and your brothers here are in church yes. you're three yes. so you barely remember it I remember it very well really it's amazing how much I remember at the age of three I remember going
1: to the Paradise Theater and seeing Lena Horne Duke Ellington Count Basie Louis Jordan Peg Leg Bates, and Eddie Lockjaw Davis. But the wow. thrill was seeing Lena Horne. Yeah, of the, course. The rain was coming down with people's umbrellas, and she looked like the little fairy tale girl that was in our storybooks. She was so pretty. <laughs> and I said, I'd love to do what she's doing. I think it sparked a, a love in my heart at the age of three to be a performer and a singer.
0: You think the seed was planted with Lena Horne? At, well, the...
1: Mama first. My oh, mother first. Mama, Mom yeah. told us
0: to sing the song that we want candy with. Ah, yeah. what was the song? Jesus met the woman at the well. Uh, So your mom was teaching you at at home, getting you ready for the big performance? Well, yeah, I'm I'm the generation
1: before TV. Mm. So a lot of times all we did was sit there and look at the radio or sing to one another. Dad played blues guitar. Uh, Being a preacher's son, he only did it for our own enjoyment and our own pleasure. And that's where I learned to sing, learned to retain lyrics. It's important to know how to remember things, poems, poetry. I loved composition In, in school. It was just
0: music. That's what I remember most about my
1: childhood, music.
0: I mean, those are your earliest memories of it, when when the seed was planted, so to speak. Yes. When do you think was your big
1: break? When I sang uh, at the Henry Ford Auditorium at my graduation, there were 3,400 people in that auditorium, and I sang box aria. Abraham Silver was our teacher, God rest his soul, and he taught me the lead solo part of uh, box aria. And as I stood there in front of all those people, my knees shaking, going, oh! <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I nearly fainted, but it was a good feeling when I heard the applause. Uh, and it sort of hooked me, and I knew that I was a singer. I knew that I I could have a future. You felt everything sort of falling into place at that point. I got appreciation. People yeah. applauded, they didn't just go politely. Yeah. You know, it was like,
0: that's not a Sunday cla- church clap with right. candy. This you is know, the roar. There you go.
1: Yeah. And it was the first time I ever heard that, and it sort of hooked me. I wanted to hear it again and again you know,
0: approving the talent that God had gifted me with. What age were you at that point? I might have been 17. Let's talk about the Vandellas. Talk about the formation of that. What are your earliest memories of that? I started
1: with a group called the Delphi's when one of their members left Detroit. Her family moved out in... so the Delphi's were an up-and-coming group. Gloria Williamson was the lead, Rosalind Holmes, and Annette Beard, the girls that I was introduced to by a gentleman who has gone on to heaven. His name was Charles Jackson. Mm-hmm. He was in the military, and I'd met him sitting on my front porch watching him go by doing a political campaign. He played bongos, and he knew I could sing, so he referred me to these girls called the Delphies. We made one record on Checkmate Records. I think I still have my copy of that 45, <laughs> but uh, it didn't go very far. So at the age of 21, I I decided, well, the group kind of broke up. And Mm -hmm. I decided to try what my Aunt Bernice had predicted. She said, You're going to be famous, so call yourself Martha Uh Laval. I thought that was sophisticated. And she taught me how to. Just because it had a ring to it? L A V A I L L E. It sounded like. France
0: or something. <laughs> There's no, it doesn't come from anywhere. He, she no, just came up with that. She
1: prophesied while she was piercing my ears.
0: Ah. That sort of hurt.
1: So she distracted me by saying, you're going to be famous. And when you get famous, call yourself Martha Laval." Yeah. Except it, for you
0: as Martha Laval? Ow. ow. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it,
1: it, it dawned on me that she had predicted my future when I went to the 20 grand and sang with the, the Levi Man orchestra. Well, it was just three pieces, yeah. the trio. And, um, Lefty Edwards was on drums. I gave them keys and I sang three songs, jazz songs. We're headed for a jazz concert. So yeah, yeah, yeah. my route started at the 20 grand in Detroit. I sang Fly Me to the Moon, Gin House Blues, and uh, Canadian Sunset. You know, Canada is just across the water from Detroit. Right. And I thought Windsor was a part of Detroit before 911. Yeah. Because we could just. Right over there, i sure. walk over the bridge and be in Canada. Next door neighbors. So I was singing, once I was alone, so lonely, and then you came. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought I was a jazz singer. And at the end <laughs> of my three nights, I made $5 a night. After my three nights, I had headed back to my job at the cleaners on Monday. I had this occasion for a gentleman, William Stevenson, to walk up to me after I finished my last set on Sunday night. And uh, he said, you have talent. Come to Hitsville, USA. Well, I thought I'd been discovered, yeah. and I went home to my dad, and he showed me how to ride the bus from the east side to the west side. When I got there, there were about fifty people on the porch waiting in line to get inside of Hitsville, USA. Yeah. I saw this hand-painted sign on this house, this big house, and I started to go back home because I said this must not be this. This might be another wild goose chase. But then yeah. the other side of my of my brain said. Go and see. Right. So I went inside. You don't know if you don't it try. It reminds me of that song, Don't Believe It, Just Watch. Anyway, <laughs> 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 I went inside. Uptown funk
0: by yeah. Martha I Reed. went
1: inside, and um, I walked past all those people because I had a cart. I was business. Oh, can I get by? Thank you. And I went to the reception area, and she said, may I help you? She had a real high voice. Juana Royster, I'll never forget her. And she said, may I help you? I said, yes, can I see Mr. Stevenson, William Stevenson? She said, oh, who do you mean, Mickey? I said, if that's what you call him. So she buzzed the door. And there he was in the same suit. Wow. He had taken off his jacket. He had t- loosened his tie and rolled up his sleeves. He was writing a song, for. he told me, for this drummer named Marvin Gaye, who had just <laughs> came from Washington, D.C., yeah. with a guy named Harvey Fuqua. And you'd never heard of them at the time. Oh, Marvin was a drummer on the list. <laughs> I found out later. There were four guys on the list. There was, there was uh, Benny wow. Benjamin. There was Earl, uh, Richard Pistol Allen. There was uh, Ewell Jones, and the fourth guy was Marvin Gaye. He was being called for sessions too, because wow. he was just that good on drums. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's him playing drums on Dancing in the Street. Really? Now that's a long story. Oh, right. <laughs>
0: anyway. I want to he, hear that story, he looked, though, but at, let, at, we'll yeah, table that for at a, a second. He
1: said, What are you doing here? And I was too taken aback. I said, oh, my God, I came at the wrong time. I mean, I've i done the wrong thing. I felt good all the way up until that point that I was doing the right thing. I had a card. My dad helped me man. ride the bus to get there. Yeah. So I said, hey, this is my opportunity. But here this man is that gave me the card and said I had talent. Come to Hitsfield saying to me, what are you doing here? I said, you gave me this card. Don't you remember that you told me to come to this company? Yeah. He said, yeah, but you're supposed to call for an audition. We have an audition, every auditions every third Thursday. you just showed up? I just showed up. He must have needed somebody to answer the phone because it was ringing off the hook. There were four lines, one to the president's office, one to Studio A, one to the A&R department, and one to the sales department. Four lines. This is a little rotary phone I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Anyway, the digital came in the same time that I was there, but I'm, I'm marking time and making history. So he said, answer this phone. I'll be right back. Well, the man was gone three hours. (laughs) And I took a notepad that I had and started taking messages because there were 17 writers working out of the artist and repertoire department. I'd walked into the the main heart of a record company. This is where the artists report. This is where you give the musicians their assignment. And this is where they come to get paid. So that was a lot of that happening in those three hours. It might have been four. I don't know. Uh, That same time uh, after he left, about a half an hour, here comes Freddie Gorman, one of the originals, who had written Mr. Postman for the Marvelettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He plops this great big horse saddle looking mailbag, big leather thing on the floor and says, who's using the piano and who are you? But they weren't that nice when they asked who
0: I was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: I, I'm... I'm not going to say what they said. To me. <laughs> but I did answer them on Martha Reeves, and Mr. Stevenson said he'd be right back. You mean Mickey? I said, yes. He said he'd be right back. Evidently, no one called him William Stevenson. Right. And uh, he uh, started playing something on the piano, and I had phone calls from people like Gladys Horton of the Marvelette saying, there's no N.R. secretary there. Who are you? Girl, I'm coming to see you. And it was a friendly conversation. And she did come all the way from Inkster, where she lived where the marvelous were discovered. And uh, it was just a, a day of fun, a day of happiness, uh, until three gentlemen walked to the door. Well, two of them spoke to me, uh, James Jameson and, and uh, Benny Benjamin. They wanted their uh, M&F and money, mm-hmm. and they were adamant. They wanted to <laughs> fight somebody. Where is that yeah. M&F and Mickey? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Stevenson said he'd be right back. We want our money, and we're not going to cut the session across the hall. Hattie Littles was getting ready to record one of uh, Bobby Blue Bland songs, You're the One That I Adore. Yeah. And they weren't going to play anything until they got their $5 from yeah. the session they cut the day before. <laughs> That's before the union came in. Yeah, yeah. But I was there when the union came in, too. Mm. However, uh, I called the sales department, talked to a woman named Betty O'Shea. She might have been from Germany. It was a multiracial company. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a black company. Sure. And uh, I talked to her, and she said, well, we don't pay until Friday, so you have to tell them they can't get paid. I wasn't about to tell them that. <laughs> I put the phone directly in their hand. I said, you tell them what you just told me. So they gave her all of those what for they had given me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She said, okay, okay, put the secretary back on the phone. Then I was officially called the secretary. Ah, there all you of go. this in a matter of three hours. That's how you got in the and door. And that's how I got in the door. It took maybe six months of doing demonstration records, singing back, up on that song he was writing for Marvin Gaye, Stubborn Kind of Fella.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Don Dantes were the backup singers. Uh, Jackie Marlene, who just passed away, and Lou Vane were in Chicago cutting a record, but they were under contract to Motown, so I couldn't really expose them. So I called in Gloria, who I previously sang with, mm-hmm. and Ned and Rosalind ah. to sing backup for this Marvin Gaye project. Barry Gordy heard our harmony and said, put these girls on the back of that stubborn kind of fellow record you just recorded. Mm. And the rest is history. Yeah. He decided we should be a group there. Uh, he gave us 15 minutes to make up a name. He <laughs> was going to call us the Tillies or the Pansies or something because the we... The Tillies? Uh-huh. And the Pansies. The, yeah, because we couldn't... You know, everybody there had had a short name. Yeah. You know, right. except the, the, Supreme, the Supremes. Yeah. Originals. The Contourish. The Blank. The Spinners. <laughs> you know, the Marvelettes. So um, I thought about Van Dyke Street being on the east side. Every city has an east side west side war, and it was real thick in those days because there were the Shakers and the Shakerettes, and there were Monte Cristos and their women, and they would actually cut you. The Monte Cristo people carried. <laughs> oh, it was Man. a scary thing catching that bus going from the, the east side to the west side, but I did. Yeah. And uh, I was brave. Uh, so when it was time to name the, the group, I thought of Del I had seen Del before I went to Motown, mm-hmm. but she stayed in my mind because Reverend Runless at New Liberty Baptist Church said, uh, Della's in the house. I was visiting that church because my grandfather died. Our church dissolved; dissolved. It would oh,
0: okay.
1: be all scattered. Uh, but I was at Kelly and Elliot's church, New Liberty Baptist, and uh, she stood up. He said, Della's in the house. He didn't call her name. This. Beautiful, tall woman with this first French roll I'd ever seen in somebody's hair. It was amazing to see somebody that pretty. And she stood up, she was on the front row, and uh, he said, Give us a selection. And without a minute of hesitation, she sang a cappella Amazing Grace. And it seems like she shook the rafters, this beautiful, heavy voice. Mm. And she sang Amazing Grace in a way that I understood it. Mm. I understood exactly what the words of that song mm. meant. And uh, I didn't see her again until one morning I was ironing my little blouse, trying to get to the citywide cleaners where I worked, 9 to 5. And she was on TV singing, Don't you know I've fallen in love with you? And her name was Reese. I said, God, that's really close to Reeves. Right. Maybe one day, if I'm lucky, I could be famous too. Uh-huh. So at that moment of trying to make up a name, I remember Della Reese. My sister's name is Delphine. We actually had sang with the Delphi's, so it just came Vandella. Somehow it just came Vandella. And, and the van came nice, from? It had a nice ring to it. Yeah. Van Dyke Street, oh, east God. side. I want people to know that I wasn't from the west side.
0: <laughs> I was from the east side.
1: Everybody else at the company was basically from the west side.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And there it was. There it was. And the rest just took off. So
1: after we made the demonstration record with Marvin, they asked us to, well, the union man, Here, here's the story about the union man. The union man came in, and I was doing a demonstration record. Of, they were recording a track for Mary Wells. But the union had stipulated that the musicians would now get paid union scales. Mm-hmm. No more of that $5 a session mess. Right. And so, sometimes when I watch the Funk Brothers, they don't tell that part. They right. made real good money. Could, they could cut four to five songs a day at Hitzville with union scale. That was a good payday. Yeah. Anyway. I uh, sang the song because the union man had stipulated there should be somebody on the mic while they were recording tracks. They just couldn't cut song after song without having uh, artists uh, to uh, answer to mm-hmm. and to be paid that way. The musicians could mark their uh, payroll by who they recorded for. But they were also special musicians because they played everybody's song to fit their own personality. Right. My music doesn't sound like the Marvelettes. <laughs> My music doesn't sound like the Temptations, the Contours, the Four Tops, or the Supremes. Yeah. They liked me because, what, I had gotten their money. And they all knew that. They all knew that now they could get paid after they recorded a session. Because uh-huh. here I was writing down what song they were recording, uh-huh. how much time it took, yeah. and what their pay should be, and their check would be written, and drawn so they could go directly to the bank. Right. So you can make a musician real happy, and he'll play real good for you if you pay him on time. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I guess that's anybody, huh? He talks. <laughs> money <Somebody> talks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's how I got my friendship and my love for the punk brothers right there uh, working in the a r department that one day. So at the end of the day, I was indispensable. They needed me there. I was keeping count of all those different women and yeah. and sessions and musicians, are, you know, writing names down that were sometimes not reported. Uh, I saw session notes written on clean, cleaner slips and paper bags. <laughs> but I started organizing things, and finally there, there come a session uh, form uh, they had printed. You know, eventually, nine months later, after recording and getting the record out with the Delphi's, mm-hmm. called it, being called the Vandellas, Martha and the Vandellas, um, we went on our first Motown review, and we visited Washington, D.C. in '62. Wow. We played the Howard Theater, and the thrill of playing the Howard Theater is we were able to use some of the Howard University musicians. Wow, they were so fine. Yeah, they augmented our our band uh, in the uh, for, on the first Motown review, and then we re- returned back several times to the Howard. Sure, uh, I'm, I'm longing for some of the. Uh, sandwiches used to walk down the street and get those mile-long sandwiches. <laughs> the people that went to the Howard understands what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Those mile-long sandwiches. Anyway, um, I uh, heard my first record in my uh, after uh, I have to let him go. Didn't sell. Mary Wells left the company, mm-hmm. and they gave me the song. Put the Delphi's or the Vandellas now on the back of that song and put it out. It didn't sell very many copies. And uh, Holland Dozier Holland heard our harmony and decided to write a song called Come and Get These Memories. Mm-hmm. This was after Eddie Holland had recorded, uh, oh, Jamie, Jamie, yeah. and it went the number one. But he decided he did not want to be on the road. He didn't like interviews. He didn't like getting up and catching airplanes. He didn't like cold, drafty dressing rooms. <laughs> he didn't like anything about performing. Yeah. So when he asked Barry if he and his brother, younger brother Brian, and Lamar Dozier, if they could write a song, they wrote Come and Get These Memories, their first okay. compilation. Wow. They don't give us very much credit for that because they had, <laughs> you know, preceding that, they had uh, 10 number one songs on the Supremes. Sure. But uh, we were uh, the first ones to sing their hits, Love is Like a Heat Wave, a Love Like Your Sun Come Knocking, uh, Jimmy Mack, Come and Get These Memories, being the first one to hit the charts. Yeah. And ready for love. And I could keep naming songs that Holland Does Holland wrote for us. So uh, that's how we got to be. Eventually, I met Barry Gordy. I think he came in the the office maybe about my third month of being there. And I'd asked him for a salary because my dad said, look, you can't keep going to that man's company every day if you don't get on the payroll. You're working a job. You're not just going down there singing. Ask for a check or you can't go back. So when I went to William Stevenson tearfully and said, my dad said, I can't come back to the studio every day and I don't get it. He said, okay, wait just a minute. He went and asked Barry for a, a th- that's when they were putting promissory notes on the, or memos on the back of the door. Right. They would put them on a, a little box and somebody would come by and collect them and take them. So by the time Barry got that memo, he came to the office to see who is this girl running my in and department, because <laughs> <Right>. I was. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I got to finally meet Barry Gordy, and I, I, I immediately fell in love with him because all of these guys had such high regard for him. You could hear them saying, oh, hey, man, you think Barry's going to like this song? Or, hey, Barry asked me to re- redub this song yeah. on the artist. Or, Barry said, add some more drums. They always referred to him. He was a great taskmaster. Mm-hmm. And uh, a wonderful place to be it was like a, a beehive. Like I said, it was a, a house with a hand-painted sign. So uh, very close quarters. Right. Uh
0: huh. But well,
1: that's right. how I got there.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned um, dancing in the street and Marvin mm-hmm. Gaye on mm-hmm. drums. Okay. So we I'll had a, we one. had
1: an artist development department where you would go and get your instructions. I think Motown was the only company where they had people on staff to train us. It's like being in a school. And I consider myself a cum laude graduate of the Motown University. (laughs) We had Professor Maxine Powell, who taught us how to be gracious. She gave us, I guess, a good uh, mental brainwash, letting us know that the audience was the royalty Mm -hmm. and that we were to please everyone with our uh, appearance. We might have been the first generation to be allowed in public places after segregation, after we had the uh, civil rights mm-hmm. law passed. She wanted us to be presentable, to teach us how to carry ourselves, how to be ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. She had classes collectively. We didn't just have her on our own. When we got instruction, there would be the marvelous the, the Supremes, Martha Nivan Dulles, mm-hmm. Kim Weston, maybe Carolyn Crawford. Um, Britna Holloway was later on. But uh, all of us have benefited with the teachings of Professor Maxine Powell, God rest her soul. Had she lived, she would have been a hundred years old in uh, May, May thirtieth. Oh wow!
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: we had Maurice King, who had been like a band leader for the Sweethearts of Rhythm. There was an all-girl band, fourteen-piece band that he created and conducted and traveled with, and he had retired after he, uh, after the Sweethearts of Rhythm, Rhythm all dissolved. He was a Music director at the Fox Theater, and one of the he could orchestrate. Oh, he, he did our show for, at the Copacabana. And he, oh, he was fantastic. He knew how to put shows together and how to teach artists harmonies and mm-hmm. prepare us for places like the Copacabana and uh, Atlantic City and Vegas. That was part of our teaching. And we yeah. had choreography done by a man named Charlie, C H O L L Y, Atkins, out of uh, Las Vegas. He had trained Gladys Knight and the Pips. Oh, yeah. And he came to us on their recommendation, and he also brought them to Motown as well. Nice. Uh, But uh, he was fantastic at teaching. That's why when you see a Motown act, there's a dance to go with the songs. And uh, I'm proud to say that my sister Lois worked with me, and she remembers very well working with Charlie Atkins, and she knows all of the routines that were designed just for our songs.
0: You said Gladys Knight and the Pips recommended? the? Yeah, Charlie Atkins.
1: He had worked with them. You know, Gladys started singing at the age of eight, and uh, I remember her being on, a, what's a cigarette gold somebody. It was a okay. Ted, Ted Max Amichow with the gold cigarette dancing okay. cigarette pack. Uh, she was eight years old when I saw her, <laughs> sweet and cute. Well, she's been singing all that time and had hit records, and Charlie had choreographed, and Gladys and the Pips were known for their beautiful dancing. yeah, so we got uh, their, their instructor, nice, in our house. Nice. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yes. And then dancing in the street with the Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye, three. I was in the studio recording, and I had finished my my six hours because you had two hours with Maurice King, two hours with Professor Maxine Powell, and two hours with Charlie Atkins. And Marvin was recording, and he was so fine. I would follow him anywhere. I didn't care that he was married to Barry Gordy's sister. <laughs> I, I was I was in love with him like an artist. He was so fine, but he, he was so talented. He would. Sometimes he'd record all by himself. He'd play the drums and he'd play the organ. Then he'd put uh, different uh, uh, melodicas and things on his music. And mm-hmm. he'd sing all the leads on some of them. And he was just so creative. He was always writing. And so I was standing there and uh, he'd say, Calling out around the world. Are you ready for a brand new beat, baby? To this track that he had created. And I was standing there going, wow. He wrote that? Day. Yes, he did. Oh, wow. And he sang it. And you heard it. <laughs> yeah, happened to man. hear him sing it? I heard him sing it. And he looked over and saw me and said, hey, Ivy, who was a co-writer, and Mickey, try this song on Martha. I'm going, wow, he knows I'm in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned the song practically by listening to him sing it. Right. So I couldn't sing it the way he was singing it. It was more romantic and it was like to a girl, not right. necessarily to the world. I said, I remember uh, being a child and on my street in uh, Ryapel in Detroit, houses very close together, cobblestone streets. A little guy named J.D. got ran over by a car. So our parents, my dad being been working for the city of Detroit, it was for the water board, and Mr. Elliot, Kelly's father, who lived across the street was a bus driver. DSNR is what they used to call it. Uh, they decided to ask the police permission to put the horses and the yellow tape and let us block off the street and dance. We didn't have a recreation hall. We didn't have American Idol. We didn't have nothing like that. Yeah. We had to dance with each other, and they had record players. Not loud woofers and tweeters, but record players so they would put on their porches, play their favorite music, and we'd dance in the street, eat everybody's cooking. I remember one time they killed a goat, and that was the most horrible thing I've ever witnessed. <laughs> they hung that thing upside down, cut his throat. I went, oh god. Stuck with you forever. And then they barbecued it and the whole neighborhood ate that goat. I said, I don't, I don't Except remember. for you.
0: Uh uh-uh. <laughs> You were just dancing in the street. Well,
1: we danced in the street on a regular basis. So when I got a chance to sing that song, I remembered being in, in New Orleans at Carnival Time. it's a joy when everybody is listening to the music and just dancing and having a real good time. Mm -hmm. So I thought about that. Then I went, calling out around the world. And it it became mine. I sang it all the way through. And I looked up in the picture window, and they were congratulating each other and saying, hey, man, we got a hit. She sang that song. And Lawrence Horn, the engineer, looked up and said, hey, man, the machine wasn't on.
0: Uh. So they (laughs) asked me, Martha, can you do it again? So the, the initial one doesn't exist anymore. Mm, you can't hear it anymore. I can't oh, can wow.
1: hear it. I can't hear the one Marvin sang. Oh. But they said, can you do it again? So the second time I did, did, I did it, that's the reason it sounds like a live recording. Right. Because I nailed it the second time with a little bit of a, a temper. Yeah. I was, what? They didn't have that. Yeah. machine. <laughs> I nailed that song. Sing it again. Okay. And so I gave it some I extra. I gave it a little fun. extra. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all because of those trumpets. Mm-hmm. The trumpets reminded me of the bullfight. Uh-huh. Yeah. And when we find great trumpet players that can play that line, yeah. that same excitement happens Yeah, time and time again. I love singing that song. What was I Marvin's singing- face
0: when he saw you sing it?
1: Marvin was always romantic looking.
0: Yeah,
1: He, he didn't have big eyes. He almost, he almost looked like he was, he was just romantic looking. Yeah. Anybody ever seen him or know what I'm saying, he had romantic eyes. He didn't change. He's did he? Marvin I freaking Gay. I, <laughs> I saw. I saw, I saw a smile. Yeah. Yeah. He had a lovely smile too.
0: Like this. This thing I wrote I is did, getting the hey, treatment it yeah, deserves. This right is now. what we want. Yeah. This
1: is. This is. She gave us what we wanted. Were but you, It was a wonderful day, and it only took like about half an hour, and then on to the next song. Yeah because it was like a beehive. It was always a song being recorded.
0: So what was it like, you know, you sing this thing, you see Marvin giving a little smile, yeah. and then here you are, this, you know, three-year-old, in your own mind, you remember 3 year old singing for candy in yeah. church, and all of a sudden, this song just takes off. Yeah. What's that? Like? Were you just surprised, floored? It was wonderful. People
1: stopped uh, school classes and went to the campuses and, and on the football fields and gave big celebrations with that song. I've been in nearly every big state where they've blocked the streets off in the 60s because of dancing in the street. Wow. We've had some great celebrations. Yeah. Halloween, any time. I, I asked stories about what were you doing when the song came out because we had our 100th anniversary last year, and some babies told me that they were at a, at a, a pajama party, <laughs> and they heard dancing in the street, so they ran out in the driveway in their pajamas, and their, <laughs> the, the house mother came out and said, Get yourselves back in here. <laughs> but they In their pajamas and their negligees, and went on, yeah. on in the driveway and danced in the street. Some wonderful stories. How people were riding in in their cars, and they pulled the cars over. And act, some states actually changed the law that you could actually block the streets <laughs> off and dance in the street because, because of your song. Because of Marvin Gaye's <laughs> song that he gave to me. I love that
0: that you that you continue. You know, you humbly credit him with that. Oh. That's great. What a great artist. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what, I know that's that's the that's the big one that literally had people dancing in the street. Mm-hmm. My my personal favorite, I love Nowhere to Run. How how'd that one come about? I was at home ill with
1: the flu, and uh, Holland Dozier Holland again <laughs> called me and said, come to the studio. We want you to cut this song. The track was already done. And, you know, it's ironic. The company was a company, a family company, to the point where Ivy Hunter, who was part writer of Dancing in the Street, was singing backup with Rosalind and Betty on Nowhere to Run. So when you listen to it again, you hear this man in the room. Mm-hmm. When I think about present time, Nowhere to Run, Robin Williams, Blessed Our Heart, and Good Morning, That's Vietnam. That's what I think,
0: it's the first one he plays. Right, right after, and, yep. and
1: the helicopter goes off, and yep. I always ex- try to take people to that moment, how I felt when my son had taken me to the theater and set me on the front row, and uh, said, Mama, don't jump up, because he knows I'm silly, right? Yeah. And excitable. And he said, uh, I said, what, well, what, baby? He he didn't tell me why we were in the theater. He somehow managed to get me on the front row. So when Robin Williams said, "Uh, And now we're going to play Nowhere to Run with Martha and the Vandellas, I jumped up. I did. And he grabbed me by my clothes and pulled me back in the seat and said, Come on, Mama. (laughs) (laughs) But I was surprised. It kicks off the movie. I was surprised to see Nowhere to Run and Good Morning Vietnam and to hear Robin Williams call my name. It was just as exciting when we did our PBS special. For our president, Barack Obama. Uh-huh. And he called my name uh, during that taping. It, oh, wow. I've had some exciting moments. In what context? What did it ha- Do you remember what he said? Yeah, he said a special thanks to Martha Reeves. Because they wow. closed the show with Dancing in the Street. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: They didn't let me sing it, though. Oh. They just let me sing on the end of it. But
0: uh, well, it was when still he a called big,
1: my name, it was all all good.
0: Still a big honor, yeah. Uh, did you ever, um, did you ever sp- speak with uh, Robin Williams? After no. that, no, no, just seeing in the theater. Just, no,
1: we went yeah. to uh, San Francisco, and we had a tea party, and he was in the na- he, he. It was his neighborhood, mm. and the proprietor of this tea house spoke very fondly of him. Mm. But I never in my in my lifetime yeah. got a chance to speak with him. Just like I never got a chance to see Van Morrison because yeah. we did Wild Night on MCA. Uh-huh. And, uh, I'd like to meet Van Morrison. Yeah, and uh, there's a few other people I haven't met that I'd like to meet. Yeah, I met.
0: Uh, Mick Jagger, way back, well, in he covered "Dancing," it didn't the Stones yeah, cover it? Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: him and Dave Boy.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm mad at them. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like hearing Jagger singing your song?
1: I think singing Marvin's song. I think they did a wonderful job. They raised so much money for for uh, AIDS, mm-hmm. uh, Live AIDS. Yeah. But uh, when they did the video, you see, I never had a video. Right. And I had a flower dress. I know I dance better than them. <laughs> they didn't ask me to do the video with them. I'm very upset with them.
0: Well, we're going to have to reach out to them and nah, hey, give them a piece of their mind. I too. I've right? been
1: going to England since 1962. I want to meet the Queen. I want to see her, sing yeah. for her. Yeah. Mrs. Powell promised us. She said, you, you got to sing for kings and queens, lords and ladies. I made the lords and ladies. Yeah. Where's the and kings I'm, and queens? Yo, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Other Motown acts have gone uh, and played for the royals, so maybe I'll get a turn.
0: That's fantastic. Martha Reeves, thanks for sharing all your stories. Anything else you want to say before we go?
1: Thank you so much.
0: That's Martha Reeves on WTOP. (laughs) WTOP. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.